I'm Jim Paymar, and you are listening to The Big Shift, the podcast that looks at the seismic changes our world, our economies, and our institutions are confronting. Today, we're discussing a subject that's in the news every day, the horrific war being waged by the Russian Federation in their attempt to seize and control the democratic nation of Ukraine in the heart of Europe. You've all seen the video of terrible destruction being rained down on the Ukrainian civilian population by Russian missiles, bombs, and drones, the mass graves of innocent civilians executed by Russian troops. Most thought this kind of terror would never happen again after the horrors in World War II. However, before the current Russian massacre, there was another genocidal war in the early 1990s as the former Yugoslavia disintegrated and Serbs, Croatians, and Bosnians fought for control of territory. Joining me now to discuss the parallels between today's war in Ukraine and the war in Bosnia-Herzegovina is Leila Pernavorec, a communications expert, a lecturer, and a freedom ambassador who now resides in The Hague. Leila, welcome to The Big Shift and glad you could find the time. Thank you, Jimmy, and thank you for the invitation. So nice. It's wonderful that you are here and uh, we're about six hours apart. I'm in New York and uh, you are in The Hague, uh, which is near the sea in the Netherlands, just to give our audience kind of a bearing as to where you are. And Leila, you were born and you lived as a young girl in Bosnia before the war broke out. And you had Serbian and Croatian neighbors and friends until you were about nine years old. But then, from what I've read, everything seemed to change in a moment. The world turned upside down. Can can you explain what happened? Definitely. Um, the interesting thing in my life that everything changes within 24 hours. So um, I was nine and it was around May and I was with my uncle and aunt in Sarajevo because my uncle has bought um, uh, some some buildings for my nieces because they were studying pharmacy and he wanted to inspect that because they are opening their own um, apothecary and um a few apartments and we went over there and I went along with them because he was, these were my favorite nieces. Mm-hmm. And we were in Sarajevo and uh, as a kid I had this uh, very, I don't know, it was not missing a feeling of something is off. There was something going on and in the news as a kid I saw a lot of um, things going on, bombs uh, were placed, you saw all these uh, sandbags all over the cities and everything. And I asked my parents what was going on, and they said that I didn't have to worry, that this was going to pass and people are going to come to their senses. So my parents let me also go on this trip without any hesitation. And we were supposed to stay for two weeks, I think, or something. But I had this awful feeling as a kid, and I kept asking my aunt and uncle to go back to Doboy, where we were from. And um, in the end, they caved and they were like, okay, let's go back because this kid, we cannot handle her uh, um, crying out to go to her mother. And Mm -hmm. we packed up and my youngest niece also decided to come back with us 
and my oldest niece stayed. And while we were leaving the city, the city um, was closed with these sand um, bags. And it was the moment that Sarajevo became an enclave or, or clay, enclave. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it Encl well. Enclave, yes. Uh, Yes. So that was the moment. So this intuition that I had as a kid really saved our lives because otherwise we would have been there for five years in the awful uh, sage on Sarajevo. But didn't you, didn't you also hear that there were rumors of soldiers coming down from the hillsides? Yeah. And Definitely. Uh, we were that weekend when we came home, I went up uh, to the hills because we had a weekend, weekend house and a friend of ours also. And we were playing in the fields and out of nothing, these men came running down and they were screaming like, you need to flee because the war is starting. You need to flee. And we looked at her uncle and uh, aunt and they were uh, saying to us, come into the car, we're going back to the city. And we came back and I went up to my parents and I said, the war is starting, the war is starting. And they were like, don't be so silly, Leila, go out and play. And uh, mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. within a few hours, I was playing outside, like they told me. And um, we, were, we were living in the center behind the central mosque. So in front of the mosque on the main uh, street in Doboy, there were all these men walking and behind them you had a lot of trucks and they had these megaphones and they were announcing like Bosnian, uh, you need to flee, the war is going to come and um, this is your chance. And, and out of nothing. Uh, just, just, uh, just for the audience's uh, edification, uh, Bosnia was a Muslim state, correct? <laughs> Um, not only. No, but, but not only, but, but a majority Muslim, right? Yeah, uh, majority Muslims, yeah. And probably all um, changed this religion during the Ottoman um, era. Because uh -huh. probably all of us have been or Catholic or Orthodox, like the Serbs and the Catholics, like the Croatians. So a lot of us of there probably chose in those days to become Muslim, to have a better life. So uh -huh. that's the interesting thing. And I think that's, that is one of the similarities with Ukraine. You have these people who are brothers and sisters in, in, in killing each other. You know what? So... It's just appalling, you know, in your view, what was the main cause for this conflict breaking out? You know, under Marshal Bros. Tito, the, the president until his death yeah. in 1980, Yugoslavia was relatively unified for decades after World War yeah. II. And then we saw the rise of nationalism based along, I it's guess, ethnic and religious lines. What was the spark that lit the fire? Uh, the spark was always there and uh, they were all the serbs were always singing songs in the war of um we have fought all three uh, wars the two big ones and this is our third and we are fighting for our little uh, serbia but also we need to kill the, the the turks and i remember going into the house and asking my mother who are the turks and she said we are the turks and i said how are we the turks mm -hmm. because we have the Muslim religion. So this goes back to the Ottoman um, era where right. they found that they have lost land. And, and um, that was the time that their dream of the little Serbia was taking away or the big Serbia. So, um, yeah, that's one of the seeds of this all. So 
also a similarity with Russia and Ukraine. It's also something that Russia feels it's theirs and mm -hmm. need to take back. So you see how in a lot of times hatred and all these things run through mm -hmm. generations and they really are given forward. So it's also in our hands to change all of this. We have that power too. So, so uh, l let me back up just for a second. So uh, the Bosnians are Muslim majority and the Serbs were more Orthodox. Is yeah. that correct? And, and yeah. the Croatians were Catholic. Okay, so and then you had other other groups there, eh? like the uh, Roma Sinti. You had the, the Jews. You have uh, um, atheists. So you have a lot of people living in in former Yugoslavia. Okay, okay so this conflict, I mean, was extremely brutal and vicious in Bosnia. It, you know, not unlike what we're seeing in Ukraine today. The, there were uh, constant Serbian attacks during the war. From uh, you know, firing tanks from neighboring hills, artillery bombardment, uh, the threat of snipers, and no one was safe in Sarajevo. I mean, that's what I recall of the war. And and uh, in reading some of the history, uh, the siege of Sarajevo lasted nearly four years, mm -hmm. fourteen hundred and twenty-five days. That's three times longer than the Battle of Stalingrad. And apparently 13,000 or close to 14,000 people were killed during the siege, including 5,500 civilians. The thought of this is just really hard to fathom. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had all the genocides what took place all over former uh, Yugoslavia. Yeah. And Doboy was one of the, the cities that was in their cleansing area. So after about one and a half years, we um, they announced to us, to all the Bosniaki, that's how we were called Bosnians, like, um, this is your last chance to uh, escape and flee the city. And mm -hmm. if you stay, you are not certain of your life because... In some cases, they put like crosses on your house and people knew who lived where. And uh, they have had all these lists of who you were, what you did before the war. And everything was like paid back, like in a very horrific way. So my parents knew they didn't want to go. They didn't want to leave the country that they loved and they lived uh, for so many centuries in. And the, um, they didn't want to go anywhere, but we needed it was or life or death. So that's why they decided to pay a lot of money because you needed to pay a lot of money to get on these convoys mm -hmm. to, to, to get to get out of yeah, the to get out of the city. And it was yeah. on school playground where we collected and they were uh, taking all the adults apart and then searching them all over. And with the kids, thankful, uh, thankfully, they didn't go that far as they did with adults. It was really uh, brutal, and um, and it, it was for me as a kid a possibility to um, take some pictures from uh -huh. my with me because they prohibited us to take anything valuable. Uh, I couldn't take any teddy bear or anything with me, my doll, or because uh, we could hide money or jewelry in there, and uh, they prohibited photos because if those convoys would have been captured, you could been put on a on the line and then they will shoot you and put you in a mass grave. It, so it, it, it must have been absolutely terrifying for everyone. 
it, it it was and but for a kid because my mother never showed fear it was I, I really amazing if i look back at it she was so amazing for us kids she made it like that la fita e bella like a story so it felt for us as a kids more as an adventure going on an adventure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she made it less less uh, fearful and when we came to uh, belgrade just before we stepped out of, uh, and um we had our first hiding address and that's where we met the person who helped us to come to the netherlands because my father just had no idea where to go okay well let's back up for a second because you mentioned ethnic cleansing now a lot of people are not aware of what that really means but uh, it, what was occurring in bosnia the serbs were literally trying to eliminate the bosniak muslims uh, displace them from the entire country and uh, they they actually created concentration camps such as Srebrenica. Yeah. Uh, and 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 8000 men and boys were massacred there and they also put together these large rape centers and it's estimated yeah. 20000 women were forcibly raped what were they were they trying to uh, make these women have Serbian children so that they could eliminate the, the Bosniak culture? I mean, how could this happen after the Holocaust in Europe less than 50 years earlier? And it, it was also a lot of things that happened during the Holocaust were like a blueprint of what happened in Bosnia. So they used these same kind of systems. And uh, raping women is the most violent way to... Um, to harm women, mm-hmm. that's because, and when you harm these women, you harm all these families, and you have the big honor, and harming women in 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 Muslim countries, of course, kills the honor of the family. Mm-hmm. So there is, and and the greatest thing, what you, the most horrific thing that you can do to a woman is is to rape her, and uh, there were also a lot of children born out of these rapes. Mm-hmm. Well, and this was all part of the ethnic cleansing yeah. program, I guess. And and, and it's terror- not that they killed the Bosnian Muslim. The ethnic cleansing went all the way. Yeah? They only wanted Serbs to live in these areas. So everybody who was not a Serb was killed. So in Srebrenica, you only had mostly people living there were um, Muslim religion. But there was one, for example, Catholic family who was also killed. So everybody who wasn't Serbian. Uh-huh. That's what ethnic cleansing means. They only want ha- to have their own ethnicity. And they and then they called it actually the Republic of Srpska. It was a, it was kind of a, a another entity. While the, there was a nation of Serbia, they wanted to create this Republic of Srpska in Bosnia. Is that correct? Yeah, and you have that still. You have. Republika Srpska. And Doboj is one in the city where I'm from is also part of the Republika Srpska. And they are now also trying to make that part of Bosnia a part of Serbia. So mm-hmm. they want to take that part also away and become a larger part of Serbia. So this is still going on even today? <laughs> even going on today. And also, like, you have all these villains like Mladic and Karadzic, and they're putting up statues for these men as heroes mm-hmm. so you have um, history lessons in different in the same country giving children get different 
history lesson about the history. One deny all these genocide and ethnic cleansing and others and make it like look like a heroic something that people done to create the Serbia that exists now and the others know what really happened and the horrific stuff that made this all possible. Getting back to Srebrenica for a moment, you know, prior to the massacre, uh, the United Nations declared the besieged enclave of Srebrenica a safe area, which was supposed to be under UN protection. And the UN sent in what some, I think it was like 370 lightly armed Dutch soldiers to protect the Bosnians. But, you know, they were able, unable to prevent the town's capture and the subsequent massacre. What went wrong? Why such little protection against a, ser- a superior armed force like Serbia? Because uh, the rest didn't do anything. They were calling for help and they were help, help was promised and mm-hmm. they didn't come. And uh, there are different stories of the reasons why, but um, it would be very good after this year becoming the big uh, sorry from the Dutch government to the um, Bosnian government and also, of course, the uh, Srebrenica people, that now we uh, go and have a big research what happened at the UN and what happened all um why 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 there was no why there wasn't more it's uh, not a dutch thing it's not a bosnian thing it's a world thing and we need to learn from our mistakes and uh, learn why these people weren't helped and saved well now getting back to your family now you were able to escape the war because I, i think your father had friends in belgrade and and and, and they were, were Serbian friends, by the way. Yeah, they, so we they, they were Serbs. Yes, we were also helped by Serbs. So I have no hate for nobody. I only mm-hmm. want justice to prevail, and I really wish everybody a very good life. Um, and I really also do believe that we can live together, and we cannot live with each without each other because mm-hmm. we have always lived on that part of the earth together. So. We are also the answer. Yes, yes, yes. And it, now, after after Belgrade, you you settled in Western Europe. You settled in the Hague. Yeah, in the end. Yeah. Yes, and 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 getting back to the whole UN protection situation and the massacre in Srebrenica, the, the Dutch state was found liable in the Dutch Supreme Court and the Hague District Court of failing to do enough to prevent the deaths in Srebrenica. Should more have been done? Could more have been done? And what are your thoughts about living in Holland today, living among the Dutch? I think it's very uh, important that justice has prevailed so that these uh, people have their justice and they know that they've been fighting for recognition for so many years. And it would have been so much more beautiful if it didn't have to go all this process but they would just admit it right away but in the end the justice prevailed and i hope now that we can also look into the greater picture of what happened over there so that we understand but also can learn 
from all these experiences because genocide and ethnic cleansing and it, it, it's also a system and it happens in a lot of places all around the world and we need to do something about that and not stand there and and just look and think it's not on, on our part of the world right well we saw it in cambodia we saw it in uh, rwanda you know we saw it with and the- we're seeing it Europe. now Ukraine. Yeah, and, and and speaking of Ukraine, right now there, I think I understand there are eight million refugees, and approximately the same number of displaced Ukrainians from their homes. Uh, I mean, what does that do to the human psyche, Leila? Uh, how are you able to survive losing your home, your country, uh, being forced to flee to a new country where you don't even speak the language. I, I, I believe there were 1.3 million Bosnians and Croats who were either deported or resettled during the war. Uh, how, how did your friends and relatives survive all this? Uh, you need to start over and <laughs> you realize that that's what you came from. It's gone and it's never going to be back because that's something was just destroyed with this all but it's not in everybody's psyche the possibility to start all over so fleeing a country and going somewhere different it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of uh, persistence and willingness and inner power so uh, for a lot of people they are still in these countries living abroad and they are not uh, able to go back to their uh, their own cities because their own cities are not um, in the hands of the people that they would like to be. So you you stay displaced. So you need to find new routes and build new routes in the new countries where you live. And um, for myself, if I look at myself. Um, the Hague became also a full circle experience for me. I came to the city of justice and peace. Uh, the villains of my war were sentenced here by mm-hmm. law, and they are, uh, some of them are here 20 minutes from my house uh, yeah. in, in, in So, I mean... They're in prison. You see, yeah, they're in prison. You see yeah. really things coming back. And I think that that war and all this Yugoslavia tribunal is also a good example of the fact that we are not going to let all these villains now, if it's Syria or if it's Ukraine, we are not going to let you do this without uh, getting you also sentenced for what you did to all those people. Well, when, when, when you see the plight of the Ukrainian people today and you, you, you can't, Anytime you turn on the TV or open the newspaper, you're seeing these horrific scenes. What are your thoughts about what can be done to stop the murders, stop the massacres, stop the attacks, uh, stop the, the, you know, the, the destruction of vital infrastructure where, where people in Ukraine are living without water, electricity and even food? Yeah, because that's the way you starve people eh? and you can make them um, surrender or make them weaker. Um, It's also important for um, the Russian uh, civilians to get to know and get to to the information of what's really going on. So it also takes the responsibility of um, taking the matters in your own hands and standing up against your own um, government and Mm -hmm. Because it, if 
you are there also of course some of them are also forced to fight a war or they don't call it a war over there um so special military operation operation yeah so i mean uh, i think it takes a lot of courage also for people to stand up and you see that that's happening but they are also like right away trying to um prevent that Mm -hmm. but in these systems and in countries where it's so uh, difficult to stand up for who you are and your rights and 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 in, for injustice. Um, I think one of the things is that that really people also from abroad need to inform their own families and um, because and we need to stand together. And I think the power of the Ukrainian people are also that they are willing to stand up and fight for their country. Well, they 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 are fighting. Uh, uh tremendous battle against a much larger country with much more powerful weapons. Do you think that the United States, the European Union, uh, the United Nations uh, are doing enough to stop this senseless bloody war in Ukraine? And, 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 and the hatred of the, what I like to say, is the other I mean, you talked earlier about the Russians and Ukrainians. Basically, they're 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 related. You mm-hmm. know, they they've lived together for hundreds, thousands of years. And but this quest for territorial gain and and uh, this, it, I don't know. It seems like there's almost an inevitability of mankind uh, just never learning to live together. Is there is there an answer to this? Uh. Uh, there's always these big shifts eh? you're talking about. <laughs> it's it's what it's all about. And un- unfortunately, the big shifts in the world most of the time happen with a war. Mm-hmm. And um, if we talk about ourselves being this uh, evolved um, nations and being people who are live in this civil um, part of the world or whatever, uh, I don't know if we are there yet because yeah. not a way of treating each other civil so i hope really because they are trying to prevent this new big third world war mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. The why um people are in, in these different countries and uh, coalitions are doing this differently now right but i don't know what the cost the cost is again so many people innocent people losing their lives for, for no reason for, for no and children and it's, yeah. it's just it's just horrifying and, and you know the, the the one big difference today in this war with russia and ukraine which did not exist when the bosnians and the serbs and the croats were fighting was nuclear weapons and we have nuclear weapons in Russia. Yeah. Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons when the Soviet Union came apart in the in the 90s. Uh, so you have a, a different situation. But do you do, do you think that there's a way to, to stop these kinds of war crimes in the future by leaders like Vladimir Putin or Slobodan Milosevic in Serbia, who is surrogate uh, Radovan? Karadzic uh, attacked Bosnia from 
perpetrating this kind of horrible violence and destruction. I mean, do you see a way that we can actually try Vladimir Putin for war crimes? Because he's certainly guilty of them. Yeah, and I hope that this city here, the city of justice and peace, that they will come here. But a lot of a lot of the of our economies run on uh, the weapon industry, so uh, it's also a very big part of income of a lot of countries for having wars all over. So uh, reinventing the system means changing also the way we. Uh, earn our money yeah. and I say it is in that easy uh, easy way uh, and maybe a bit simplistic but it's also one of these things that we also need to think about yeah the arms industry I mean yeah. a, a, a multi-trillion dollar industry yeah. Yeah. So exporting you weapons building yeah. weapons and and then they they have to be used so that you so can develop new weapons. You you understand what I mean? And it's a, a lot of big countries like your own is also depending on these industries. People have a, their jobs there. They You know what I mean? So there's a lot of things that we created also and keep creating. So we need to rethink and rechange um, our way of thinking. And because we have never had such a long period of peace in Western Europe, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And Jim, we never had world peace. No, no. And that's the saddest thing if you, because that's the thing that we all wish for and freedom and having peace is the core of every human. But we keep creating this because there are other interests. And we really also need to look at that. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering uh, now that you're living in the Hague and you've, you've got a couple of kids and you've reestablished your life. Uh, what, how is your life today, and what do you think about the past? You know what you you said like in the war in Bosnia and uh, in Herzegovina there was no nuclear things going on. Mm -hmm. I have, um, a few years ago, I had cancer. And the reason for my cancer is was the fact that I was exposed as a kid to a lot of nuclear waste. Uh -huh. So doctor asked me if I was from Chernobyl. And I said, no, but I've lived in a war. Mm -hmm. So all these weapons and a lot of weapons that were also used in, in the war in former Yugoslavia were from World War uh, One. And, uh, and two. So there was also a lot of nuclear waste. And what we were throwing now also on these kids there. Mm -hmm. And but not only on the kids, also into our earth is also a lot of waste of a lot you, of things that we don't your want. uranium and thorium and some of the, yeah. the yes, the, the, the nuclear components. Yeah. And what we don't realize is having all these wars, we are also like polluting our world in such a horrific way because it this goes into our ground this mm. goes whether it whether water into our air and to our bodies because mm -hmm. like i was have no protection yet right right i i, I just was reading uh, in the new york times about how parts of uh, ukraine look like the moon that there are so many craters now yeah from the bombs and these yeah. bombs have poisons in them yeah 
and that's it. And those kids and those people are exposed to that. And I'm a living proof of developing cancer in later in life. And my cancer, my doctor said, your body is so healthy. If you wouldn't have lived there, you would have never been sick. Your mm -hmm. cancer is caused by nuclear waste. Right. And, and, and Ukraine is called the breadbasket of Europe. So that's that's the thing. I was also talking here in the in the media about the fact that our food is going to come from there. What what's happening to the 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 soil and the ground? Mm -hmm. You need to really get it get into and have research into that. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, the, the the questions and the problems uh, they almost seem insurmountable and it's, it's hard to believe that this kind of war is going on today in 2023. And it's yeah. just very sad. And I must bring up a lot of imagery for you and I'd love to continue our conversation, but I'm out of time right now and, uh, we're going to have to come to a close, but we'll, we'll do it in the future and hopefully this war will end soon. Uh, and that was, uh, Layla. Uh, she's a communications expert, an entrepreneur, and a freedom ambassador. And she comes to us from The Hague. And if, if you'd like to know a little bit more about Layla, I'm going to spell her last name so that you can Google her because there are some interesting things that she's got on YouTube, including The Hague Talks. Now, her name is spelled L-E-I-L-A-P-R-N-J. A V O R A C. So if you can get that or rewind the podcast a little bit, really interesting talks. And uh, not all of them are in English. <laughs> I wish there were more of them in English, uh, but very interesting. And, and she's led a very interesting life and uh, worth listening to. Now, Layla, thank you so much for taking the time for being with us today. And thank you, Jing, for inviting me. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm Jim Paymar, and you have been listening to The Big Shift, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening today, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Big Shift. Coming soon. Stay tuned.